Hello, everyone. Today is April 13th, 2021. My guest today is Rojas Nagpal. Rojas is a blockchain evangelist, a chief blockchain architect, and an entrepreneur. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Rojas. My pleasure. So what is your background in technology and how did you come about how did your interest in blockchains come about? Sure. So I've actually sp- I had spent about 20 years in the field of cybersecurity and cybercrime investigation. And during this time, I was working with the law enforcement agencies in about 18 different countries. And in one of the cases, there were, it, it involved the drug mafia using Bitcoin for buying and selling of drugs. And while I was helping in the investigation of that case, that's when I actually came across the concept of Bitcoin. That's how I was introduced to it. Wow. What country was this? <laughs> I won't be able to name the country, but I can tell you the case if you would like to know. Yes. So, yeah, it was quite interesting. So what happened was uh, to buy drugs, you would go to this coffee shop and give money in cash to a youngster who would be sitting around there with the laptop. And what he would do is he would convert your cash into Bitcoin and send it somewhere. And he would give you a number. So let's say he gives you the number 84. You go home and a few days later, a book would come to your house through one of the famous e-commerce sites. I don't want to name them. And you would open the book to page 84. So it could be a Harry Potter. You open it to page 84, tear the page out, cut it into small pieces and take a piece and put it on your tongue and the drug takes effect. So it is, you know, those chemical drugs, they are colorless, tasteless, odorless. Even the police dog cannot sniff it. And it's like a glass of water. You dip a brush in it, put it on a piece of paper, it dries up and you can export your drug. So that was the case. And they were using blockchain. They were using Bitcoin. They were using Bitcoin. And you were an investigator investigating that case. That particular case. So that is how I got introduced to the concept of Bitcoin. And what was the reason that you decided to go from a cyber background into a crypto blockchain background? Sure. So uh, when we look in the world of cyber, every time it's always about cyber security being breached. So, you know, no matter how secure we try to make our systems, somebody is able to break into them. For the first time, blockchain came with a solution, which said that if you follow this path, nobody will be able to hack it. And that's what really fascinated me that this was for the first time a cybersecurity solution, which is unbreakable. What do you believe makes the blockchain unbreakable? Very good question. So now, uh, to be very honest with you, the blockchain is not really a new technology. It is actually based on older technologies which have been there for decades. Like in the 70s, 1970s, we had asymmetric encryption, digital signatures, hash functions, And then in the 1990s, the concept of proof of work came out. But what the blockchain did or what the Bitcoin white paper did was it put together all these existing technologies into one. And that's how the blockchain was born. So I believe the way in which encryption, digital signatures, hash functions and proof of work have been put together. That's what makes blockchain such a great technology. So the proof of work has been here since the 90s. Proof of work has been since the 90s. It was in fact initially invented for preventing spam emails. And another use case of that was to prevent distributed denial of service attacks. 
but bitcoin applied it in the area of electronic cash that was the innovation the technology was already there okay and now so that was the original what do you, what type of consensus algorithm uh, yes proof of work was the original consensus algorithm okay and since the 90s multiple consensus algorithms have come out correct correct and what do you believe do you believe any of them besides proof of work have any sort of you know real viability as functional algorithms in blockchains so uh, today there are about 75 different algorithms available but i would say the top two would be proof of work and proof of stake so in proof of work you basically have a lot of competition between miners and whoever is the first to solve a mathematical puzzle so to say is the person who gets paid for that block by way of a reward and or transaction fee and the other one is proof of stake in which a user would lock up a stake in the crypto and then randomly the system would generate validation rights to different people so these are the two most popular although i'll be very honest with you the blockchain that i'm building is not using either of the two we are using something called mining rights and that is suitable in the situation where the people on the blockchain actually know each other or they are legally verified people but when we look at the general world where nobody knows who's dealing with whom their proof of work and proof of stake makes the most sense okay when you're dealing with strangers off anywhere in the world that's correct then you need that proof of work and that proof of stake the proof of stake so what is the proof of work requires miners to continually mine bitcoin or th- this crypto so i'll ex- i'll explain so when you say mine you're not actually mining crypto that's a misconception what you're doing is you're using powerful computation you know you're using powerful cpus to calculate a hash so uh, you know hash is like uh, are you aware of the concept of a hash function yes so but it, some it of take, our some of our listeners might not be could you explain so, it briefly i'll briefly explain so a hash function takes any text or any file and gives you a fixed length output so let's say it gives me 64 characters a b c d kind of characters one in a hexadecimal format so if i run a file through it or i run a single word through it or a sentence it will give me 64 characters which will keep changing depending on the input in fact in cyber crime investigation we've always been using hash functions for decades because you know let's say that a criminal has used a gun to shoot somebody the police can always take the fingerprints from the gun and the witness can prove this was the gun at the crime scene but let's say a criminal has been caught with a laptop how are you going to identify is it the same laptop which is there in the court many years later because no human being can look at a laptop and say none of the files have changed so you can run the contents of an entire laptop through a hash function and get 64 characters which can then be noted down and proven in a court of law am i clear on what i'm trying to say with the hash function yes so similarly what happens in blockchains is like bitcoin a lot of transactions are taking place every 10 minutes you take a bunch of those transactions and the miners are running that and a few other details through a hash function and the first guy whose resultant hash function crosses a certain number of zeros is the guy who wins the block so technically he's not mining the currency technically he's calculating a hash below a certain level and that's what the game is about 
what happens when he wins when the miner wins that block sure so the moment you win the block so what happens in bitcoin when it initially started every block would contain 50 bitcoin as a reward so you crack the block you were the first guy to do it you get 50 bitcoin after 4 years it became 25 then 12 and a half now it's 6.25 and this will keep becoming half till the year 2140 ad which is a long way to go and by then there would be no new bitcoins because you know it would have gone half 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 so much that by that year there will be no new bitcoins left to create and that is why we say that the bitcoin amounts will be maximum 21 million and of course in addition to this reward the block the miner also gets all the transaction fee so how many ever transactions happen in that block for each of them whatever is the transaction fee all of that goes to him wow okay but he's paying for it in computational power with mining and he's paying for three things so he's paying for computational power he's paying for the electricity to run the computers and he's paying for the cooling cost which is again huge which is why you see a lot of the mines are in cold countries because it creates a lot of heat when so many computers are running but yeah wow. those are his costs what so what does a typical mine look like or what would a miner's hardware setup look like in that case so it's a huge bunch of cpus there's no monitor attached to each of them they're all connected and to each other also and it's not very good looking they're just random looking kind of computer boxes in fact if you just go on to amazon and just search for bitcoin mining hardware it will show you photographs of those hardware they're very average looking cpus okay and this is all for proof of work this is proof of work yes Within... that is the problem with proof of work that people have to compete and because of that you know they say that proof of work is environmentally very bad because a huge amount of electricity is being used and a huge amount of pollution is being created i okay understand and you said because the amount that is being awarded to these miners is being halved every how how long does it take for it to half every 4 years every 4 years so there's a limited number of bitcoin that's going to be coming out right. 21 billion million million 21 million right. what implications do you believe that has on bitcoin itself and that form of crypto and sure. yes actually one more question maybe before sure. what is the reason it is halving every 4 years okay. now uh, what happens is when you start a blockchain so bitcoin is also a blockchain the first block that you create is called the genesis block whatever rules are put into that genesis block they can never be changed so for whatever reason the bitcoin inventor we don't know who he is decided to do the halving every 4 years there is no real logic behind it when you start your own blockchain you can change all this you can put halving in how much ever time you want it doesn't make any difference but he set certain rules that every block should happen approximately every 10 minutes every 2 weeks the system checks whether all the blocks took an average of 10 minutes or not and accordingly it adjusts the level of difficulty so if it feels that in the last two weeks the blocks were happening faster it will increase the level of difficulty two weeks later it will again check if the time is now becoming too le- uh, too much that means it's become more difficult it would change the difficulty level now that's done every two weeks blocks are halved every four years blocks are created every 10 minutes it's just something which is there there's no logic behind it he just decided to use these numbers okay it, and what 
do you believe is the reason he decided to use numbers in the first place? Is it, it seems to me like it may be a sort of inflation control feature, but okay. Could you explain? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So now what they were trying to do with Bitcoin was that they felt that fiat currencies, which the government issued, there's no limit. They can print or nowadays they don't even need to print anymore. Only 3% of our currency is printed. The rest is digital. The governments can create unlimited quantity of fiat. And that is why we have inflation. There's no other reason for it. Inflation is simply the fall in the value of money. Because the government can keep printing more and more, the supply of currency goes up and the value falls. In Bitcoin, they didn't want that to happen. And that's why they fixed the numbers. And that's what that's why you say that Bitcoin is a non-inflationary currency. Okay. Are there any other forms of crypto that are inflationary or do they... Sure. What do you have some examples? Sure. In Ethereum is an example. So most people don't realize this, but there's no there's no control on the number of ETH. Of course, Ethereum is not the currency. The currency is ETH. Ethereum is the name of the protocol on which various things run. The currency is ETH, which is the second largest in the world after Bitcoin. But there's no limit on the number of ETH that can be created. Okay. And what do you think? I'm so we know that smart contracts and decentralized apps are a huge part of Ethereum's platform. What do you think other, what do you think the big difference is in the way that Bitcoin will go about the next five to 10 years and the way Ethereum will go about the next five or 10 years? Sure, that's a good question. Now, according to me, Bitcoin started off as a medium of exchange, as a currency, but it's not that anymore. It has become an asset class in itself. So just like you have gold as an asset class, Bitcoin has now emerged as a new asset class and you can actually consider it a store of value. Ethereum or ETH on the other hand is not that. It is supposed to be the fuel which is running the entire world's DeFi or decentralized finance. So on top of Ethereum, you have many people who have come and issued their own tokens and they are running their own businesses based on that. So ETH is not supposed to be a store of value. It is supposed to be a currency fueling all the DeFi projects of the world. That's what it started out to do. So that's the basic difference between the two. Okay. So then in the future, Ethereum will have a lot more services available and a higher customer base of direct customers. Uh, so usually on Ethereum, you don't have direct customers, you have indirect customers. So somebody would come and put a project on it. So for example, you may have heard about CHZ. Uh, that's a, a token which allows you to bid for your football team's different activities using a socios platform. That's the name of their platform. Now, as a normal user, I would simply buy this CHZ and then translate it into the currency of my favorite football team. So different football teams have already been onboarded. And then I can use the local currency of that football team to you know, make certain uh, vote for certain decisions. But I do that on the platform of Socio, but CHZ runs on Ethereum. So I'm not a direct Ethereum consumer in that case. I'm an indirect consumer. The real person who's the consumer on Ethereum would be the Socio's platform. The guy who sets up his business linked to it. And people like me, normal users, we would be indirect consumers. Now, the problem with Ethereum is 
the transaction cost has become ridiculously high like a few days ago my daughter was trying to push her nft so she's a crypto artist so she was trying to push her nfts on ethereum and the transaction cost was 5000 rupees which is about 70 or 80 dollars wow. per transaction which is unaffordable so because of ethereum's popularity the transaction cost has gone way too high and the transaction speeds are really low so that is the reason ethereum is trying to move on to proof of work if it manages to do that successfully it would be really great otherwise it's going to be overtaken by other platforms you mean move on to proof of stake it's moving on to proof of stake yes ethereum has announced moving on to proof of stake it is expected to happen this year although a lot of miners are against it because they would lose their revenue stream it's expected to happen in the next few months if it doesn't i would probably see cardano tron and uh, you know these platforms pick up oh these are the lower class of sci- uh, cryptocurrencies available they're much much cheaper the transaction speeds are much higher and obviously the gas fees is virtually negligible because today they don't have too many transactions but even if they were to be able to get more transactions they are much more scalable and that's the reason in ethereum people do something called l2 or layer 2 so while layer 1 is considered the blockchain it's very slow so you build a layer 2 on top which interacts with the blockchain once in a while and gives you much better speed so that's a kind of a hack which we are doing around it because the l1 is slow but when you move on to cardano or you know these newer platforms like tron you don't even need to do that the basic platform is much faster okay and do you think that l2 the ability to go on to the second layer is feasible for non-technical people or would you have to be a developer to to be able to implement that yeah unfortunately almost everything in the crypto world is very complex so you would need a developer who would build a solution on l2 and then you could use it as a normal user so usually what happens is the developers and the startups they build these complex technologies but to the user they will give you a mobile app or a website to interact with so the normal user doesn't even realize he's on l1 or l2 he doesn't even know all this in fact most normal users don't even understand proof of work or proof of stake they don't need to like just like you and i may be facebook users but we don't know the technology facebook runs on and we don't care we don't care what their database runs on so same way normal users don't really get into all this okay um to shift gears a moment you this year wrote and released a a novel am i correct on crypto uh it's a book it's called the future money playbook so yeah what so what was your purpose in writing this this book sure so actually it started off uh, because of my daughter so you know we had this uh, the lockdowns which are happening all over the world so last year when the lockdown started my daughters i you know uh, pushed them towards crypto to learn and understand and then i realized that there wasn't much content available which could explain things in a simple manner and that's what actually got me to write the book it was written for them so that they would understand it and then it turned out pretty well so i said why not release it online for free anyway so it's it's doing pretty well i mean i've had more than about 50000 downloads and most of the people who read it are really happy they get back to me with ideas on what to add and in fact in the last 3 months i've already come out with a third edition so every few weeks i add a lot of information and put out a newer edition it is very helpful and thank you for putting that out i mean my pleasure a lot of the information you've put out you know i've 
searched over the last couple of months and i appreciate that it's been nice to go. yeah very good to way to start into crypto um so was what was the one of the first moments when you truly do you have a like a specific moment that you just kind of realize like wow crypto is the future and or sorry blockchains are the future and we can really create a form of security around this technology so there were two such moments the first was when i read the bitcoin white paper and i actually understood it it took quite some time to figure out a few of the things but when i finally understood the bitcoin white paper i think that was the first moment where i was blown i mean i found the concept brilliant i had been using encryption for decades i've been using proof of work for so many years but obviously i never thought of putting them together so when i read the white paper that was my first aha moment i would say and the second was when i ran my own blockchain so i used the multi chain framework and for the first two days i think i was just facing a lot of issues and had to keep resetting my server because of mistakes i was making but when i finally ran it i was blown wow this was the first time you created a blockchain solution yourself that's correct okay and you said earlier that you have a a solution now that doesn't work on proof of stake or proof of work that's correct so uh, what i'm doing now is uh, so when we look at the normal world of finance we call it cefi cefi that's the centralized finance but there are lots of issues things cost money moving money costs a lot takes a lot of time and that's why the world slowly started to move on to what we call as defi which is decentralized finance and that is where ethereum rules but even if you look at defi it's not really without its share of problems transaction fees are too high transaction speeds are very low and there is no concept of a kyc or a know your customer no concept of anti money laundering and no bank in the world is going to touch ethereum or any of these platforms unless you can guarantee to them kyc and anti money laundering what so is kyc kyc is know your customer where you know your customers identity location information is known to you so you know he's not a known criminal or he's not a known money launderer or he's not located in one of the blacklisted countries you know there are certain countries that the fatf blacklists because of their bad records on terrorism control money laundering so if you cannot have that being guaranteed to you then as a regulated entity you cannot deal on such a platform and that's the kind of audience i want to get to so my platform will make sure that every participant whether he's a normal user or even somebody who's running a node is verified and we are following all the kyc norms and the anti money laundering norms and transaction fee is zero because when we look at the real world you know when you go to the stock exchange and you buy shares they do not charge you per transaction that's ridiculous it's unaffordable every company pays a small listing fee every year and that's it as a user you don't have to pay much you only pay a brokerage i want to bring that concept into the blockchain world where there should be no transaction fee that's a great idea i mean thank you so it- much if your daughter was paying, you know, 5,000 rupees for the ability to, to sell art, that's, uh, you know, that's unacceptable. Absolutely correct. So, and as far as, you know, your, your business plan going with subscription, that's the trend that, um, the whole world, you know, if you want music, you get a subscription. If you want, um, you know, Netflix or some type of movies, you get a subscription. And I think 
even software nowadays, I think some of the Microsoft softwares, they don't even sell them. They just send them out by a prescription. Yes, you're right. We call it SaaS software as a service, for example. You're right. So, I mean, and we as customers, I believe that's what we we want. Like, if we're going to use this product, we want to pay a fixed price. We want to use it a lot. And, you know, that, and so that makes sense to me. And I wish you the best of luck with that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And so you said that your transaction fees are zero. Do you believe that the fact that you'll be able to verify your customers, which will take some cost, it'll, it'll cost you to verify your customers, will allow you, will allow your platform to have lower fees, lower transactions, and have lower cost in the long run? It is, it will be, because uh, what we first realize is that when you are doing a know your customer, it's to be done once in the lifetime of the customer. So once you onboard them, then you never need to spend this money again. That's point number one. And second is, I don't plan to do this verification on my own. I, I'm reaching out to banks. They are going to be like the foundation of my platform. When a bank comes on board, he can verify all his customers and put them on. He doesn't need to do any new KYC. He's already done that. So when the bank says these 20 million users are mine, I've verified them. We trust the bank on that and we onboard all those 20 million people. Tomorrow when there is a dispute, we have a proper dispute resolution mechanism where retired judges are part of it. When they say that, okay, for solving this case, we now need to identify that customer. That is when the bank gives the KYC data and identifies the customer. So we don't want to do the identification. We want the banks to bring in their billions of customers because they've already done the verification. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. So you don't even have to deal with the data until you absolutely need to. Absolutely correct. Okay. Wow. Well, good idea. Hopefully it works out. Thank you. And going to your book that you create, that you released this last year, um, I wanted to ask you a few topics that I found in it. What is the Rojas method? Sure. So uh, I needed a way in which to value a currency or a crypto. I mean, today you realize people are just randomly guessing what would be the value of a crypto. Now, when you look at the stock exchanges, you know, we follow concepts like earning per share, price to earning ratio. There are tons of mathematical models available, but there are no good accepted models in the crypto world. So what I've done is I've taken five concepts, the revenue, the organization, the history, the algorithm and the social impact. These five put together becomes R-O-H-A-S, which by the way is also my name. So I went around looking what are the perfect words which would fit in my own name also. So in revenue, we are talking about what is going to be the economic impact of that crypto. So for example, if we believe Bitcoin is going to be the new store of value or an asset class equal to gold, then we can say, okay, Bitcoin is approximately $11 trillion. So first we need to calculate either the revenue potential of that crypto or what is going to be the economic impact on the world. Then we look at the organization. What's the team like? What have they achieved in the past? How likely are they to succeed in this new venture? The third is the history. So if the coins already listed, what's the liquidity been? What's the price movement been? You know, how has it been fluctuating in the past? Then we look at the fourth thing, which is the algorithm, the tech. What is the consensus mechanism? What software languages is it built on? All that comes under the A for algorithm. 
And finally, the social parameter, which I think is very important. I mean, if you look at it, what is Dogecoin famous for? Or Dogecoin, depends on how you pronounce it. It's because of Elon Musk, because he tweets in favor of it. So we have to realize we have reached a world where the social following of a cryptocurrency probably is the most important. So we need to study that. How popular is this crypto? And that's what the final S is for. So that's what the Rojas method means. And I've made a valuator on this, which is available free of cost on my website. Anybody can go fill up the form. There are about 15 parameters that you fill in. Click a button and it generates a nice looking report for you with a valuation on what should be the true value of this crypto. Awesome. We'll link to that in the description then. Sure. It, a lot of, yeah, a lot of people, I remember, especially in 2017, um, a lot of people I knew were throwing money into random cryptocurrencies. They weren't sure which one to go for. They were just trying to figure out which one was the hottest one. And, you know, they don't really look at these things like, you know, going into the organization or the algorithm or, you know, most of it, I think right now is, like you said, social. And that probably won't change for most investors. I think a lot of it. I wouldn't call them investors. Then I would call those speculators. Because an investor is someone who's going to study, analyze, and then invest. And usually for a longer period. It's the speculators, unfortunately, who are going on just what they hear in the media. And that's a dangerous thing. Because going, a lot of them could end up losing all their money. That's a good correction. Yes, they are speculating and they are speculators because they aren't doing this research. They aren't going into the Rojas method and checking out the technology and the organization. And what was the H? Uh, the H is for the history. So history. we look at the history of the coin, especially the liquidity. Now that is something 99% of the world doesn't think about. But let me tell you, that's critical. What it means is how much quantity can you buy and sell at any given point of time? Now, let's say you bought a crypto, but the liquidity is so low that when you go to sell it, there's nobody there to buy it. So on paper, it may look that your wow, your crypto has gone up in value, but in reality, you'll never be able to sell it. You're stuck. And actually that's worthless. So that's why it's very important for us to understand the history of the coin. What's the liquidity been and how much has it fluctuated? In fact, as a rule, you know, during 2017, a lot of the coins went up. If you are looking at a crypto which has not crossed its 27, 20, 2017 value, never buy it. Because if it could not recover from that fall of 2017, it's not a good crypto. So looking at the history of the coin is critical. Okay. Looking at the history of the coin, seeing how it's recovered from its falls and checking and the, the liquidity. liquidity. Are you a horse? Do you gamble on bet on horses? Not much, but... Okay. But if you do, do you realize the importance of the pedigree of the horse? Yes. You know, the ancestors of the horse are critical. Similarly, you have to look into the history of the crypto. It's critical. Okay. Wow. I'll... That's, that's good to know. Thank you for explaining that. And another, uh, in your book, you mentioned one crypto that I'd never heard of that um, you seem to rate pretty highly, AAVE. Sure. What is AAVE and are there any, you know, specific, specific aspects of this cryptocurrency, this blockchain that appeal to you? So actually AAVE is a decentralized non-custodial liquidity market protocol. So what that means is 
so you know i spoke to you about liquidity being so important now what something like a aav would allow you to do is you would be able to deposit your preferred crypto and earn passive income when someone borrows against you so i'll give you an example in fact that is something i do all the time so you can buy a crypto and then lend it to people but when it is lent through a protocol or even through an exchange your crypto is 100% secure but you start to earn interest on it so somebody else who doesn't have that much of crypto but he wants to speculate he's borrowing from you and you are getting interest payments and that is something that aav also facilitates in a great way and that's the reason i like it okay and does it do it better than bitcoin and or ethereum so what happens is you can use aav for almost any crypto in the world so aav in itself is only a market protocol it's a liquidity protocol which helps you to pay money and earn money through interest okay so what are protocols in relation to blockchains but that's a very good question in fact uh, can i take a few seconds break i'll just take some water yes you can okay so in fact when you hear the word ethereum most people think that ethereum is a currency it's not ethereum is a blockchain it's not ethereum is a protocol you could sort of say it's like a software protocol or a uh, protocol is a set of rules for doing something on top of that using that ethereum protocol there are five blockchains that run not one there are five one is called mainnet that's what the normal people deal with and the other four are test networks where you test out different features before they go live so that's how the distinction actually happens a protocol is like ethereum then you build a blockchain then you build test blockchain and then a whole set of an ecosystem comes on top of it so in fact i have made a few mind maps explaining this concept because it's a little difficult to just explain it like that so i made mind maps on what the ethereum ecosystem actually is or what the bitcoin e- ecosystem actually is i'll share them with you after our call so you'll understand how, what the ecosystem really means okay great so it's more than protocols and blockchains and that's correct a blockchain it... is one part of the ecosystem okay and does ethereum's ecosystem have is it much more vast and have a lot more features than the bitcoin e- ecosystem i would say yes because okay. bitcoin the when you look at the bitcoin platform it was made to run only one crypto and that is bitcoin btc actually but when you look at ethereum it is made to run unlimited cryptos so while eth is the native currency and the fuel of that blockchain on top of ethereum you can build as many tokens or uh, cryptos that you want and i think there are about 200000 tokens already created on ethereum wow okay so because of that the ethereum ecosystem which is what we also call the defi ecosystem is huge and the bitcoin ecosystem on the other hand is much smaller got it so people can create their own form their own tokens and then just work along that with their own customers that's correct got That's it correct. okay and aeve is not a crypto it's a protocol that although it does have its own uh, native token which is also called aave but primarily it's a liquidity protocol got it okay good to know what is the cbdc sure so now that stands for central bank digital currencies and honestly i think it's not going to work much the reason is very simple the central banks are already issuing currencies 
fiat currency which is backed by nothing so that they are creating out of thin air anyway because of that fiat currency the entire banking system runs so you know when you that money goes to the bank the bank then lends against it now if you say that the central banks are going to start issuing their currency straight on a blockchain it would kill the entire banking system and that's not something anybody can afford to do because you need the banks they are the ones who are actually going to give you loans for buying homes or credit cards or anything you can't wish away the banking system and the banking system will be completely gone if the central banks go on cbdc so i don't think cbdcs are going to be there much in the future except china's because china is now trying to become the global reserve so as of today i think for the last about 90 odd years the us dollar is the global reserve every all international transactions get pegged in the us dollar and i think china has a very strong possibility of replacing it and that's the reason their cbdc will come into the picture it could be a game changer what's the reason that you believe that china's cbdc is you know going to be an effective solution rather than say if india or the united states were to implement those types of sure so when i look at the way china is going about it so you know there are so many countries where china has put up a lot of infrastructure and in return for that infrastructure they take minerals and other rights from that country now those countries which have a huge amount of dealing with china would be happy to stop using the us dollar and start using the chinese currency and plus china has two different currencies so because of that they could put one currency on the cbdc for global transactions but not necessarily use that for internal within their country plus we must also remember china is not a pure democracy like the rest of us it's not a democracy at all so they are able to do a lot of things which democracies cannot i don't want to get into the details of that because that's quite a political issue but you sort of understand what i'm trying to say yes i do Okay. And when you say they have two cryptocurrency two currencies, you mean the Chinese yen and then the um that's new CBDC yuan and the RMB the renminbi I don't know how to pronounce it correctly but that's the RMB and then there's the yuan. Okay. They actually have two two currencies. Yeah, and it's a little complicated why they have those two currencies but sort of let's consider what I think would happen in the future China would have one currency which is in a CBDC form which would be accessible to the world so that is the way in which international transactions can start happening on that instead of the us dollar and they would have a separate one internally in their country which needn't be called cbdc but it would still run on a blockchain possibly okay and if you know if the if this digital currency were to be used as the international standard for transactions who would own the responsibility of producing and maintaining and maintaining this currency and how would it be maintained sure in fact if you ask me i i'm going to answer something which you haven't put a question to me on but i think the real game changer is going to be the facebook dm project d i e m what it stands for so earlier it was called the libra project but because of a lot of backlash from the regulators they sort of pulled back a bit re-christened it that is going to change everything because very soon a time would come where people like me and you we will be able to do most of our business on a facebook platform instagram facebook whatsapp and the money that we earn would come to us in facebook coins 
so they are talking about three different stable coins built on the dollar the yen and i think the singapore the euro and they're going to have a fourth currency which is theirs effectively they're going to end up printing or making their own currency now just imagine if i'm able to run my business on a social platform and i get paid on their currency i don't have a problem my tax would be zero i wouldn't use the fiat currency anymore and facebook is not accountable by any of the governments for that and they could just have their own money running the world and people would be happy because it would be tax free and very easy to move around it's like moving money through a whatsapp message now in india you'll be surprised to know we can do that today so in india we use something called the upi so everybody in the country can get a small address so mine is rohas that's my name r o h s at the rate axis bank because that's the name of my bank anybody in india can transfer money to that id using a upi app absolutely free within seconds and we have a lot of providers like google who provide wallets for this and facebook is one of the platforms for it so when i use my whatsapp in india i can chat with you and send you money through that at the same time and the money goes like a message so it'll actually say you've received so many rupees and the money goes into your account instantly that isn't through blockchain though correct no that's not that's the upi platform which the government of india has made but now imagine that instead of running it on the government platform facebook says i have my own platform called dm start using that zero transaction fee zero tax and half the world i mean they've got half the world as their customers and that is going to be a game changer wow and you believe that's going to be a game changer i think if we go back to the rohas method because of s the, the- so actually my rohas method would not be used for the facebook because that's not supposed to measure stable coins stable coins value is not supposed to fluctuate it's supposed to be fixed so when you talk about a stable coin like us dollar backed or gold backed then you wouldn't use the rohas method because it is now pegged to something so facebook when it comes out with their own currency would peg it to something so it has to remain flat if it fluctuates nobody can use it as a medium of exchange you get it yes the whole world is okay with using the us dollar for invoicing because it is reasonably non volatile it's flat it doesn't jump too much in one day and that's the problem with bitcoin so stable coins are not supposed to be volatile and facebook will make sure that there is not volatile that's the only way they can become the new currency of the world and i wouldn't be surprised if in a few years from now that becomes the world standard wow oh the and it's called the facebook dim d i e m d m from the latin word for day so d i e m okay. facebook d d i e m d i e m so i that sounds like i to me that makes a lot of sense i mean we all even today people you know they they sell themselves on instagram they sell their their product you know if they're an artist they sell their art or they're at least marketing their art if they're you know uh, a podcaster they're mar- their market their podcasting and it would make sense to get paid through that platform it would be easy it would be very easy versus having to you know the government create some sort of of their own platform and we would all have to join and you know we would all have to create an account and then it's questionable whether they would be as held as liable as a private company which you know if they don't maintain their product we're just going to leave because we're paying for them so that would be and 
really i can i can see that how why this is so intriguing to you because the customers are already there if you can make it really easy for them they're already putting that what people want out there so they can just make some money real quick sure. mike i do you believe that you know governments will let that happen though do you believe that that's a very good question so uh you know we've got to realize that a lot of governments will be unhappy with this which is why Facebook is saying they are doing stable coins backed by dollar or the yen, but they're also doing their own crypto. And let's see how it goes. I mean, I think it'd be much easier for Facebook to buy out a small country and use that country to launch its official currency. Because I mean, let me give you an idea. You've heard of a country called Tuvalu. Most people haven't heard of it. But you know, when the domain names were being allotted to the world, every country was given a two digit code. So the US would be .US and UK would be .UK and India is .IN. Now this small tiny country of Tuvalu got allotted with .tv and a smart startup in the US realized that this .tv domains instead of .com, .tv can be sold to the entertainment industry. So they went to the government of Tuvalu and said, what are you guys going to do with TV? You have nothing to do in your country. It's a very small fishing economy. They took the rights of .tv and they've been selling it to the entertainment industry for so many years now. I think Facebook should go to a country like Tuvalu and say, let me run your currency and I'll give you twice of what your country's GDP is today. And in return, Facebook would now become a legally recognized currency because Tuvalu is a country, a member of the United Nations. And after that, nobody in the world could stop them. I'm surprised they're not already doing that. Wow. That is a really, if they're thinking about it, that would make some headlines for sure. Sure. Oh, that's going to be an interesting um, dilemma, I think, in the next five to 10 years, because in the last 10 years, especially when crypto and blockchains become very popular in the last five, I feel as though that integration between this new tech emerging technology and the existing infrastructure has barely happened yet. And that we're all going to be in tune for a very, very, you know, big awakening on the real integration of this technology. Absolutely. Um, another question I have where you said your daughter cre- was gained, was obtaining an NFT for her art. What right. are NFTs and what roles do they play in? decentralized finance and crypto and blockchains? Sure. Let me give you an example. What we mean by the word non-fungible versus fungible. So something is said to be fungible when all units of it are identical. So suppose you take money which is in your bank account. It's in a digital form. So suppose your bank balance is $100. Is there any difference between those dollars or all 100 of them considered the same thing? They're all considered the same thing? That's called fungible, where all of them are identical to each other. But now when we move on to something like a painting, so there are 100 different paintings and each one of them is now represented by a token. Would all of them be the same? No, because each painting is different, made by a different artist, has totally different value. That's called non-fungible. So when we talk about non-fungible tokens, we are talking about crypto tokens, which represent some kind of a unique value could be a real estate, could be a painting. That is what we mean by the term NFT. And of course, now a lot of media hype is going on, but 99% of the people still don't understand what an NFT is. 
an nft is not a screenshot it is not a video it is the license to that particular creation so you know i'll give you an example have you do you read say tintin comics or the harry potter books yes so now when you go to the market and you buy a harry potter book do you have the right to translate it and sell it in different countries no i don't so what are you buying you're buying the rights to read the book on a personal basis correct but when that same harry potter book is given to you in an nft format it would carry a license saying that now this token entitles you to translate this book say into spanish and sell it and make money that's what an nft actually stands for it has to give you some kind of a license over intellectual property so in my platform that i'm building this is one of the most important use cases so on my platform you would be able to license your copyright whether it's a book or a movie or even music you would be able to do that for trademarks patents all these could be licensed on the platform and that's what nfts are for so nfts bring in this completely new set of use cases okay and these nfts i'm sure not right now they're not but eventually you know the idea would be that a license would be backed in a in a rule of court if it some ever came to that actually some of them are already doing that so if you look at a platform like mintable that's actually much cheaper because they even allow you to pay through credit card and they run on the l2 of ethereum so they are able to do this much cheaper and they will charge 2 dollars per asset that you create on that platform and it already has an option for giving the license along with the token so they are already going in the right direction okay so they i'm sorry i didn't really understand that they give a a license with each token for $2 okay, so when you are creating so when you are creating so let's say i've uh, created a piece of art i would go to the mintable platform fill up the form there and there there's a tick box which says along with my nft am i giving a license and if i tick yes to that then whoever buys that nft is also getting a license to do certain things with my uh, creation oh okay so that's what so they are already allowing you to as a creator when you create your asset you are already allowed to say if you are ready to give your license but of course there are a lot of problems in that system because they are not specifying the license so on our platform we are creating a set of licenses so when a creator creates his token he can tick and say what is the license he is ready to give you okay and th- the idea would be if someone were to breach the license of a token they have that that they would be held accountable In- they would be held accountable in a regular court of law so today you do paper based documents when you license something out you fill a lot of paper you physically sign it now all that could happen straight on the blockchain and especially okay. when we talk about jurisdictions like the wyoming state which is allowing you to do so much legal work on the blockchain in future almost every country will be able to enforce blockchain contracts okay. because many countries are already doing it in india you can do it it's already covered by the law Wow, so licenses from non-fungible tokens are covered by the law in India? Absolutely, absolutely they are and in fact blockchain based records are also covered because they come under the definition of electronic records under the Information Technology Act. The digital signatures all that has complete legal protection in many countries. Not just in India, it's in the US also. So many countries it's already there. Okay. And it's okay. And So even today if someone breaches your non-fungible token then there can be some sort of 
action to take against them. Absolutely. Okay. That's very interesting. And you mentioned Wyoming. What, what has Wyoming implemented in their legislation regarding crypto? Sure. So they've got about 13 different laws around blockchain and crypto. For me, the most important is the fact that you are allowed to put your shares on the blockchain. So, you know, when today startups raise money, one of the biggest pain points that they face is the legal documentation that goes in every time you have to allot shares to somebody, a potential investor or an employee. But now, if you're able to put that entire startup's equity shares on a blockchain, it becomes transparent to all the investors globally. So on my platform, in fact, that is my number one use case. I want to enable anybody in the world to register a company in Wyoming and then issue their shares on the blockchain, which I'm running, and pick up money globally in minutes or maybe maximum days rather than the very long time period it takes today to raise money. It should be very, very easy for anyone to buy and sell shares in a startup. And that's what I'm trying to do with the Wyoming law. Wow, that's interesting. And so would does your platform uh, implement some sort of dividend or buyout payment for the investors? Very good point. So on the platform, to buy and sell shares, you would use stable coins, which are issued by banks. So we would only allow banks to issue stable coins, which are backed by fiat currencies, so that you know the government is never going to have a problem with it. That's one point, that you can use the stable coins to buy and sell shares. And secondly, when it comes to things like dividend, you will have to, those will have to be issued as new tokens on the platform. So let's say a company is first come out with his equity shares, employee stock options, all those things. Those are tokens or assets running on the blockchain. Now, when they want to pay dividend, dividend would be issued with a new token. Okay. And this would be, have to be, um, there would have to be a deal between the, the startup and then their investors predetermined, I would assume. Yes. Okay. So all those agreements would also be on the blockchain. So everybody knows exactly what are the terms on which you've bought the shares. Okay. And I'm just thinking back to your, your business plan. Everyone there is a verified customer. You know, you have all of their data as verified by the central banking system. And they're all paying a subscription fee. So they're not going to, you know, say, I want to invest in startup X as I don't have to pay a, a transaction fee to give them some money. And when I get my dividend back, I don't have, they don't have to pay a transaction fee and I don't have to pay a transaction fee. Absolutely correct. Okay. And so I'm assuming you'll have two different forms of customers or do you think everyone will be one customer? Will you have like, Definitely. sorry, continue. No, please continue. No, I was just going to ask. Um, so you'll have like an investor customer and then a startup customer okay so definitely one kind of a customer is going to be banks and other regulated financial institutions the second kind of a customer would be startups who want to list their company and the third would be individuals now each of them can do anything so a bank could buy nfts an individual could be buying and selling crypto so each customer can do everything although yes there will be three types of customers an institution a corporate and an individual. But once they're on the platform, they can do whatever they want. So as I'm on the platform, so everybody would be able to use our app. So we're giving them a wallet. 
so they don't have to trust the third party wallet which could be fraudulent in the platform the wallet is included and you could use that wallet to buy and sell any asset on the blockchain whether it's nft whether it's equity shares whether it's dividend anything and everything would be on the same app and you could sell your own nfts also so while on the one hand you would be buying cryptos on the other hand you could actually be selling nft of your own creation okay so it doesn't have to be just one way you can't you don't have to be just an investor you can also be a startup as well absolutely okay that's wow well it sounds good um you just mentioned you would give each of your customer a wallet what what type of wallet would you give them and sure. what you know what are wallets my good are, question that that's it over so today you know when you buy cryptos you go to an exchange like you must have heard about binance or so many of these are there or coinbase now the problem in the approach is the private key is with that exchange and that's absolutely not what crypto was meant to do in fact elon musk made a very good statement on this that if you don't own the keys you don't own the crypto because the for the actual crypto has to be moved based on the private keys now i'll give you a, a very unfortunate example of my own life so when i initially was experimenting with bitcoin i actually mined a few and stupidly i deleted them because i never thought bitcoin would become that valuable for me it was like a game i found it interesting i experimented and then i deleted my bitcoin so what have i done i deleted my private keys that means today i can actually go to the bitcoin blockchain and see my bitcoin so to say but i can't access it i can't move it because i don't have the keys anymore and wow. a lot of people in the world have made the same mistake what happens to those bitcoins now they're lost forever in fact you'll be surprised but it is estimated that a very large number of the bitcoins of the world are already lost because people have deleted or lost their private keys so when you have a wallet what it basically does is holds your private keys and whenever you want to make a transaction you use the private key to make the transaction and that's what a wallet is supposed to do and cryptocurrencies are supposed to be only dealt with in a peer to peer fashion through those wallets centralized exchanges which have come in are absolutely moving us in the wrong direction then we are just going back to the old way where you had the central organizations harassing us central stock ex uh, exchanges and crypto exchanges are doing the same thing so i believe in the future we will not have centralized exchanges and in the future once everybody is smarter they would all carry their own wallets which would have all your private keys you would back it up on a piece of paper and store it in your house so you never lose your keys again and that's the only way to hold crypto you have to have the keys got it okay so these wallets that you would issue out and that you envision in the future are physical pieces of technology uh they both so you do have wallets which can be on the computer in a software version you already have hardware wallets available where it's like a pen drive i mean it's not actually just a pen drive there's a lot more to it but it's just like a pen drive you would buy and physically you would store it in those hardware wallets so wallets can be software as well as hardware and best part you can actually write it on a piece of paper you know your private key is a, is a is an alpha numeric code you can note it down on a piece of paper you don't even need a wallet that's a that's, that's your you could do even today yeah okay so if you had that's something that you and all the other individuals who 
deleted their Bitcoin private keys, which they did was back it up on a piece <laughs> of paper. Or write it on a piece of paper. We just did. Oh. So many people just lost their money. Wow. That is, and I'm sure that it's going to continue in the future too. More people are going to lose, you know, their private keys and lose their money before they learn. <laughs> That's true. So, and then you said the soft wallet. So there can be just a completely on the desktop version of your absolutely is that so one is yeah is that less secure it is a little less secure so for example you know metamask is a very popular wallet for ethereum it's actually inside your browser so if you open up your chrome browser or firefox you could download it as an extension and whenever you visit a site like mintable for example it would ask you it would pop up and say connected to the wallet you would click your wallet opens up on the side in your browser, you enter your password and the wallet's open. And now from that wallet, money can be paid to Mintable directly. So because okay. it's all running in Chrome, for example, but those wallets obviously carry a higher degree of risk, but that's where you keep smaller amounts for regular transactions, but your bigger amounts, you put them either in a hardware wallet or on a piece of paper. Okay. Earlier, you mentioned something fraud, something about fraudulent wallets. Right. What so? What are fraudulent wallets and how can we protect ourselves? Very recently, somebody went to the Apple store and he downloaded an app on his phone and he transferred some crypto to it. And then he realized it was a fraudulent wallet and all his money was siphoned off. So it is this kind of a criminal organization which builds a, a wallet, puts it on different stores, whether it's the Android or the iOS store, and normal people download it put their crypto into it and the producers of that wallet steal their crypto. So they are, that's what a fake wallet is. I mean, it looks and functions like the real one, but they're able to siphon your money off. Wow. So this is, <clears throat> they create a, a quote unquote soft wallet through a application. And then, you know, they fool us into downloading it and placing Absolutely. our crypto into it. Absolutely. Wow. And that's the main example of fraudulent wallets that are that's out there today. Uh, so I would say that there are three real main kind of scams that happen. The first one would be what we call as a rug pull, where one fine day a project would just disappear. So you put in money invested and bought a coin of a project thinking it's good. But one day they just empty out all the tokens and they vanish and the project is over. That's called a rug pull. So that's one. Second is phishing emails, you know, where somebody would send you an email or a message, make you click on something and then fool you into giving up your crypto. That's a normal phishing attack. And the third would be these kind of fake ones. Okay. And these are the main forms of scamming in blockchain? These are the three main forms. Yes. Okay. And all right. These aren't, they don't seem terrible as far as ways of scamming. Well, they take all your crypto away. So if you have a lot of crypto, it's terrible for you. Yes, that's true. Do you, do you believe that crypto and what do you, what sort of relationship do you believe crypto and say physical money or state implemented money? What type of relation do you see between the two of them in the future? So crypto has been created to replace fiat. And I would say as the world moves on, it's either central bank digital currencies or Facebook, the coins that they are coming out with or crypto. But I strongly believe fiat is probably going to be replaced. 
Okay. And so you've mentioned that DeFi has its own share of problems and you created your own sort of way of thinking HiFi. Could you explain HiFi? HiFi. HiFi. HiFi makes it sound like it's really expensive and I'm going to take a lot of fees from you. Oh, okay. So HiFi. HiFi. Yeah. So what was your exact question? What is HiFi and what is the reason you're promoting this sort of Sure. protocol sure so hi-fi is going to be just like another platform so you could say it's like another ethereum but there are some very core distinctions the first difference is it does not have a native coin like ethereum has eth it doesn't have a native coin and that's the reason i'm able to say there will never be a transaction fee because there just isn't a native token so that's one difference Second difference, everybody who's onboarded it is going to be verified. So there is going to be 100% KYC. Zero transaction fee and very fast transactions. So we're looking at about 1200 transactions per second. And as time progresses, the speed will go up. But 1200 transactions per second is anyway very, very large. It's very difficult that we would ever even hit a limit where that number is low. Okay. And that's what high fee is or hi, i'm sorry hi-fi hi-fi hi <laughs> yes Hot so date. you could say it's like it's a public blockchain first of all that's very critical because you know a lot of people are setting up private blockchains between a few organizations that i feel is absolutely it's going to go away because it doesn't make sense the value of a blockchain lies in its transparency and in the fact that anybody in the world should be able to look at the transaction they may not know the entities behind it but every transaction has to be visible on the blockchain explorer. It has to be public, but it does not have to have a coin. It does not have to have high transaction fee. And that's where we are going to be different. Okay. It just needs to be public and available to all of its users. And that is the main. That's the main. Yes. That's the main distinction between a public blockchain and a private blockchain. And you believe private blockchains don't hold the value of what the blockchain technology can give us exactly because you know it's like this let's say i'm a private company who's selling food and on the food i'm putting a sticker you can scan it like a qr code reader and you will come to know the movement of the food from the source let's say it was in china and then it came by ship and all that data is there on the blockchain now tell me one thing if it's a private blockchain then as a user how is it any different whether the company pulls this data from their database or from their own blockchain, does it make any difference whatsoever? They could put fake information, I would never know. So a private blockchain, according to me, is a silly concept. Might as well use a, a normal database. But when you do it on a public blockchain, you are allowing anybody in the world to run your nodes. You are allowing anybody in the world to see transactions. And that is the transparency. That's what blockchain is meant to do. Okay. That makes that that's a very strong system. I believe transparency and, you know, just being able, everyone being on the same page creates a lot of, it takes out the confusion and a lot of fog. Right. And it creates a system that is actually very foundationally strong. Okay. So I recently found out that Bitcoin's code their software is all open source. Mm -hmm. Do you 
is and you know blockchains and the crypto world are very uh they run with this sort of mentality of open source very open source keeping it open source do you see any vulnerabilities in that sort of thinking or in blockchain and blockchain platforms upcoming so all the blockchain platforms that you hear about always run open source and i think that's better when your software code is closed you are relying on something called security by obscurity which means you're secure because the hacker cannot see your code but that doesn't help when you put it into open source anybody in the world can analyze it and that's what makes your software better because anybody in the world can find problems and then you can build and improve the product so in open source you have so many people who contribute so now instead of one company trying to do it and they're bound to make mistakes millions of people around the world are now actually maintaining your project for you and that's the benefit of open source i strongly believe open source platforms are much more secure and i mean you look at the success of linux and that will show you that's I mean, true. look at ubuntu that's such a phenomenal but it's completely open source software and it's extremely secure because anybody and everybody in the world looks at it all the time and they find mistakes and they fix it okay so you believe that once the mistake is found so the mistakes are continuously found and as long as the developers are on top of fixing those bugs and those errors in code you believe that it'll be create a stronger code in the long run absolutely it will okay that may, and then the same with bitcoin which i was i was pretty shocked to see the open source code on the internet uh that and it was being updated like i think i saw something it had been updated 20 minutes ago from the point i saw it mm-hmm. which is not how i think the old way of going about security in the software domain used to be correct things have changed i mean open source has completely changed the game and not just bitcoin even ethereum and all these platforms you can go to their uh, repository download the source code and run your own ethereum if you want it's completely free and open source wow and that's not an evm that's not an ethereum virtual node if you do that or is no, that you are actually setting it up from scratch on your own hardware you can do that that's the beauty of open source wow so you download it and run it completely on your own network it's actually as if you're running your own ethereum it's just that no one else is running on that no blockchain there, yeah. so it's that's useless okay <laughs> yeah. got it what uh, are oracles sure so let's take a simple example let's say that you have an insurance that if your flight is delayed by so many minutes you get an insurance claim now the question is how is the and this is a smart insurance contract on a blockchain now the question is how will the blockchain come to know what time the flight landed that information is not available to the blockchain that's available to let's say the airport authority so an oracle is a service which can pick data from an external source and feed it into the blockchain and based on that the blockchain can do something so the smart contract for the insurance picks up the data of the flights comes to know whether the flight is delayed and then automatically gives a payout to people without you having to claim it that's what an oracle is supposed to do it is a authentic source of information or source of truth from the outside into a blockchain or from the blockchain to outside you can use it both ways 
and oracles can be hardware as well as software so a software oracle would pick up information from the internet a hardware oracle could pick it up from iot sensors and devices so let's say you have this ship which is moving and certain containers are supposed to maintain a certain temperature so there is a sensor inside there which is holding all this picking up the temperature recording and keeping it and that can be passed on to a blockchain so that becomes a hardware oracle do you believe that blockchains could be used in some sort of you know sensoring uh like say a automated car do you think a blockchain technology has any any uh, room in that sort of uh it can it, have a room where, where you have cryptos being used by the car so you know when you have to pay a toll your car could automatically pay the toll without needing any external devices based on a crypto that is holding so there yes i do feel it could come in otherwise no okay See, blockchain is not supposed to be used for data a little metadata fine but a blockchain is created for one thing which is smart asset life cycle management create a, a coin or an asset burn it transfer it do atomic transactions great but the moment you start to put a lot of data the blockchain is going to fail because that's not what it is supposed to do so, so now continue so even in the automobile sector i have seen use cases where people are trying to put a lot of data into the blockchain but it's it's not going to last that's not what it is meant to do okay so you you just used a term there smart asset life cycle management smart asset life cycle management and right. that is blockchains and you know specific private keys from your blockchains are smart asset life cycle management of whatever that may be so let's take a very simple example when you go to the stock exchange you have a lot of intermediaries there's a depository which holds the shares in an electronic form there are depository participants there are custodians there are exchanges there are registrars there's a whole bunch of people now imagine that you take equity shares put them as assets on the blockchain you need zero intermediaries the entire asset now that equity share is called a smart asset which is on a blockchain and the entire life cycle of it from creation to transfer to ultimate even destruction is all managed by the blockchain and you don't need intermediaries to do that anybody with a private key can do that okay and I, one question is so say you're working with a smart asset a, a single smart asset that has gone through several transactions and in you know one of the first transactions there was some sort of oracle service that uh maybe you want to refer back to would would you be able to refer back to that oracle service or is that only a one time reading from the blockchain in order to make its decision okay so that's a one time reading which happens so the oracle sends data let's say about the insurance that the flight landed late based on that the smart contract triggers the movement of money but when that actual money moves from the insurance company's account to mine that's got nothing to do with the oracle anymore the oracle provided the data to the smart contract which then went on to transfer money of course they will maintain an audit trail so you'll know what exactly happened but that oracle is not connected to those coins in any way the oracle's oh. job is to just provide the data okay so the customers then or the clients of this blockchain 
would create their own oracles for their specific use cases? So we do have a lot of Oracle service providers which are there in the world. And some of them themselves have their own coins. And in fact, even in oracles, you have centralized and decentralized. So they're already there. But we have to remember that the source of information has to be authentic. That's critical. What? What? So the source of information has to be authentic. How can the use of oracles de-authenticate? Or is there any, you know, sort of process that we should be aware of? No, it, it depends on who, where the Oracle is picking up its information from. So if the Oracle is going to give me information about the landing times of a flight, then we need to make sure it's actually coming from the airports or from a government entity which has authentic flight timing. Because if the wrong timing is given to us and we end up pe paying people for that insurance policy, which we were not supposed to, the money is gone. So we have to make sure that the Oracle has authentic data. So you obviously have to question where is the data coming from? So depending upon what you're picking up, you may want to know data about rainfall levels. You may want to know data about temperatures of different countries. So then you need to make sure it is actually coming from a government approved uh, observatory, for example, which is giving you proper weather information. So you have to make sure that the source is authentic. Okay. So any I... random person should not be able to start off his Oracle service. You need to be very careful whose Oracle service you are actually using. I understand. that seems like one area of um fragile maybe one of the more fragile areas of the blockchain because it doesn't actually deal with the blockchain you're you can you know inject an attack on that oracle and then send money somewhere that has yeah. you, you send wrong information and then the smart contract sends the money so you've technically not hacked the blockchain but you have fooled the smart contract into doing something by providing it false information Wow. Are there any examples of that sort of attack going on? No, so far I've not really heard of any Oracle injecting fake, fake news or fake information. Okay. Awesome. This, thank you for, um, you know, explaining all that. And you know, do you, so I guess we're nearly wrapping up now. Um, do you, what is this solution that you recently created what is it called the you mean the hi-fi blockchain yes yeah so it's called the hi-fi blockchain the hi-fi stands for hybrid finance so i believe that in the past we had centralized finance today we have defi or decentralized finance in future we are going to have hybrid finance so hybrid finance is like the bridge between the old world central and the defi and that's where this comes in okay and the you Last Friday, you released, uh, you created a new company? Is, or... No. Uh, so what, what we've done is I've created the document and put it out for the world because I believe in being very transparent and even building the product. I want to hear from people what they think. So I've already got a lot of good feedback. A lot of people have given me ideas on improving what we are doing. So at every stage, we will be issuing our documents on LinkedIn. So that's another different approach we're taking. So instead of taking our documents and keeping them confidential, we're pushing it out right on day one, trying to get in information and you know feedback from thousands of people. What do you feel about it? What are the use cases? What more should we be doing? So we'll be regularly putting this information out to the world. Wow, I'll be making sure to keep my eye out. <clears throat> so Ross, I think we're just about done, but 
I wanted to ask, do you have anything that you would like to say to potential, you know, blockchain enthusiasts, people that want to get involved or, or people that are a little scared to get involved? Download my book. Download. And read it. Yeah. That's the I, only advice I'd like to give them. Yeah. You I, should understand a lot of the concept before you put money in. That's a good, that's a good explanation. And I can agree. You all should download his book. Well, thank you for coming on, Rojas. It was a pleasure. Great. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.